0: Well, happy Monday evening to each one of you here tonight. I hope that as far as Mondays go, that today has been a good one for you and for your family. I do know that as far as bringing Mondays to a close, that you and I are here doing it in probably the best possible way that we can. And that is in the assembly of God's people, in the fellowship one with another, and in the study of of God's word. You know, I was praying on the way up here tonight, and one of the many things for which I prayed, I don't mind sharing this with you, is I prayed that there would be revival in the homes and in the hearts of those of us here tonight. And as our brother led us and revive us again while ago, that came to my mind. I appreciate that song and all of the songs that have been led here last evening and tonight as well. And I want you to know that our homes, all of our homes, from time to time, they need spiritual revival. I'm sure that there are some people who think, well, Cliff, that's not true of your home. You know, you're a gospel preacher, and, and that, that surely is not true of your home. Oh, but it is. You know, the homes of preachers and their families, they're really not all that different most of the time from the homes of our brothers and sisters. And there are times that we need spiritual revival. Sometimes we need to be reminded of what God's pattern and plan is for the home. Sometimes we need to be reminded the importance of what the home is doing in uh, steering souls toward heaven one day. We need revival. And certainly in the days in which you and I live, I believe that to be the case. Tonight, I've entitled our study, not the revival of the home, perhaps I was uh, suggesting that, but in a way, it's something that relates to that, I'm sure, Jesus Christ, the hope of the family. Jesus Christ, the hope of the family. Now, I'm confident that I'm not the only or the first gospel preacher who has ever entitled a sermon along those lines. In fact, I'm almost thinking that perhaps there have been little booklets written to that effect. I'm not sure if that's the case. But Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, we understand that. He's the potential savior of the world, 1 John 4 and verse 14. But certainly if Jesus is the hope and the savior of the world, then you and I could agree, surely, that he also is the hope of the family. Now, as we begin into this study together, consider with me why it is exactly that Jesus Christ could be styled the hope of Of the family. First of all, we need to back up and we need to assess what jeopardizes the family. What is the problem or problems, if you will, that families encounter and that families have to overcome? Now, we we could answer that question in a variety of ways, but if we wanted to be very simplistic, very concise, I can tell you the number one problem with all families. It's the problem of sin. The problem of sin. The reason that families have the struggles that we have from time to time, it almost always gets back to sin. The reason that families have the challenges that they have to overcome and work through together, so often it leads back to Sin. If sin is the fundamental problem that is affecting our homes, our families, our marriages as husband and wives, our relationships as parents and children, if sin is the problem, then dear friends, I am totally confident that Jesus Christ is the solution. Consider with me again his mission, of course, as he came into this world. Things that I trust are very familiar to you. In Luke 19, in verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The, The very purpose that Jesus left heaven... Entering into the world is so that one day man, upon leaving this world, might enter into heaven. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Sin was the problem. Jesus is the Savior. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, Paul wrote a statement. I don't know if you pick up on things like this. Some of us do and others would pick up on other things that I would miss. But this is something Cliff Goodwin picked up on here. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, the statement that the Apostle Paul was making it had to be terribly important because it was not prefaced with one preparatory statement, but it was prefaced with two preparatory statements. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying. That's preparatory statement number one. And worthy of all acceptation, we might say acceptance. Preparatory statement number two. Now, before we even get to the statement itself, notice what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say about that statement. Number one, this is a faithful saying. The word faithful indicates it's credible, it's accurate, it's trustworthy. And so the statement is vouched for, so to speak, in that statement. And then number two over here, and worthy of all acceptance. In other words, everybody needs to hear it. Everybody needs to believe it. Everybody needs to act on it as though it were true because it is true. Hmm. Paul, what do you want us to tell us? And then the statement that Christ Jesus came into the world To save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, folks, that's a great statement. So great that the Holy Spirit prefaced it with two preparatory sayings, assuring us of the validity and the accuracy of that concept. Jesus came to save sinners. Now, think about this. And I've already mentioned it, and I'll say it one more time and then move on. But the reason, a large part of the reason that I encounter the problems I do in my family is because of the sin of Cliff Goodwin. And if it's not because of the sin of Cliff Goodwin, it might well be because of the sin of Beth Goodwin. Or if it's not the cause of the sin of Beth Goodwin, it might be, well, the cause of the sin of, of one of my grown children. See, it gets back to sin being the problem, but in order to have sin, you have to have a sinner. You and I, we have accountability. We have culpability. We have guilt. Well, does Jesus do anything with that? Absolutely. You remember what John the Baptizer said in John chapter 1? He was standing there with at least a couple of his disciples, as I recall, when he looked and he beheld Jesus. (coughs) I can talk all day long. I don't have any problem. I go to preach and it gets just tickling me. But anyway, he looked up and he saw Jesus. And in John 1, 29, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. There's the solution to the sin problem. Now, what's wonderful about Jesus is not only is he the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world in the sense that he removes our past sins, he forgives us of the sins we've committed, he does that as his children... But then through gospel instruction, through the power of his spirit that we, we have an encounter through the word of God. Remember Ephesians 6 and verse 17. The word of God is the sword of the spirit. Through the power of the gospel, he fortifies us. He strengthens us. He instructs us so as to be able to better avoid sin in the future. Jesus is the solution to the sin problem. He forgives the sins of our past. He fortifies and educates us and instructs us so as to prevent sin in the future. If I want my family to be better, my family will be better when I'm better. And that needs to be the attitude of every member of the family, husband and father, wife and mother, Children in the home, that needs to be everybody's attitude. If I want the family to be better, I need to be better. Well, Cliff, how do you get better? I go to Jesus. I have to go to Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Sometimes, and I don't know if, if many of you have this problem I'm really not sure how widespread this problem is. I've wondered about it and I just don't know. But but I could see the possibility for some that, that when they think about Jesus and they think about his work, it's almost as if he's he's done with everything that that he had to do. Now, I know I know when he was hanging on the cross one of his final statements was, it is finished. And I understand that. And I understand, I think, the significance of that. But don't misunderstand that to mean that now that Jesus has died and has been resurrected and has ascended back to the Father, dear brother, dear sister, don't misunderstand that to mean that Jesus is not doing anything on your behalf. Because that's not the case. Look with me in Romans 8 right here. And verse, well, let's just back up. Back up with me to verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, I don't know the condition of every home and every family represented here tonight, but there's a possibility even in a number this size, there's a possibility that that one or two homes are here tonight and, and you're struggling. I don't know what the circumstances may be, but for whatever reason, times may be hard right now in your family. Have you ever paused to think about the reality that as children of God, do you know that God is for your family? God's on your side. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But in, in some of our darkest hours in our families, you know, I mean, sometimes terrible problems, tragedies and, and bereavement or, or maybe even infidelity or, or lack of trust or, or whatever's going on. In our darkest hour, do you know that as children of God, God is for your home? Now, Paul said right here in verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's not Paul's way of saying, hey, nobody will. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is that nobody will successfully be against you in the ultimate sense so long as you hold on to God. That's really what he's saying. If God be for us, who can be against us? I assure you that as his children who are loving God and trying to do His will, trying to live and go to heaven when this life is over, God is for you, God is for your family, God is for your home, God's on your side. Now think about that. Skip down with me to verse 34. Who is He that condemneth? Who who would impose the penalty of sin on us as God's children? Now the implication is, or the implied answer, is the devil would. That that would be his will to impose the penalty of sin upon us. Who is he that condemneth? But it is Christ that died, having paid that penalty. Yea, rather, that is risen again victoriously. Now underline this last part of verse 34. This is why I can tell you Jesus Christ is not idle. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. The intercessory role of Jesus Christ as our advocate. 1 John 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. His intercessory role as our high priest, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, so was he tempted, yet without sin. And so Jesus Christ is our advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ is our high priest before the Father. Jesus Christ is pleading for your family before God. Now just step back for a moment and let that sink in. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Maybe you've thought about his pleading your case as your personal advocate and that's true. But here you and your spouse are, and and you have a Christian home, and you're trying your best to rear and nurture, rear your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Friends, why would we not think, why would we not believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is pleading for our families as well before the throne of the Father? Now, that's powerful. Jesus Christ is the hope of the family. He's the hope of mine, the hope of yours, and the potential hope of families all over this world if only they would come to him. If only they would submit to King Jesus and acknowledge it needs to be his way. His way is right. Now let's move number two into another part of our our sermon tonight. Talking about Jesus as the hope of the family. What has he done? What has Jesus Christ done for our families? Two basic ideas. Number one under this. He has set the example for all of us to follow. Husbands and daddies, I need you to listen to me especially right here. Mamas, also listen, please. Young people, listen. Jesus Christ has set the example that if we're going to mold our families after his will, we can see what that looks like. We we can see the importance of that. Let's start when Jesus was only 12 years old, when Jesus was yet a child in the family of Joseph and Mary. Go with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter two. You remember, and we touched on this briefly last evening. You remember when uh, Jesus had become separated from his family group as they had been at Jerusalem for a feast. <coughs> well, when they went back to the Jerusalem and found him, notice verse forty six, Luke two forty six. And it came to pass that after three days, now folks, that would, be, that would be a wearisome three days, wouldn't it, if you were separated from your 12-year-old son. It came to pass after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they, namely Joseph and Mary, when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt thus with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now last night we didn't read the next verse. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not, or did ye not know, that I must be about my father's business? Now, there's two great lessons in this at least, probably far more than that, but two that I can bring out presently. Number one, it goes without saying that our homes, if we want our homes to be happy, prosperous homes that God wants them to be, then the centerpiece, the, the driving focus of our homes has got to be the Father's business. It's got to be the work of the church, it's got to be living the gospel. It's got to be being the light of the world. The father's business. Now that's lesson number one. Dads and husbands, you especially need that because you're the heads of your respective homes. It starts with us. It's, it's really a shame. And I guess I don't want to be harsh, but I'm, I just tell it like it is. It is a crying, pitiful shame when Christian women have to step up and be leaders in their homes because their husbands refuse to do so. That's pitiable. It's a shame. It starts with us, men. So lesson number one in this, the thrust of our lives has got to be the Father's business. God comes first, the church comes first, spiritual things come first, period. And it's not just talk. Now, talk is cheap. It has to come out when the rubber meets the road. But number two, another great lesson that we can get from this to our young people here tonight, you know, young people even under 20, you don't have to wait till you're an adult. You don't have to wait till you're married. You don't have to wait till you have a home of your own before you can be about the Father's business. Let me tell you something that is a great blessing to a home and that greatly aids and helps a home to be a Christian home and that is when the children in that home love God and they want to do what God tells them to do. Tell you what, there have been times when my children, my children have shamed me. My children growing up, when they had convictions and when they brought up matters that... That I either hadn't thought of or that maybe I just wanted to ignore. You know what? That's a blessing. And I tell you what, I decided a long time ago, too. I decided a long time ago that even if I got embarrassed, that if my child was right and my child was telling the truth, that I wasn't going to correct that child. Let me me tell you this this is funny. We were on vacation, this was years ago, we were down on the coast. And my family and I, we love the beach, we love the coast, but I'll just tell you, when we're down there, we, we cover our bodies, okay? I believe it's a sin for a person to be immodestly dressed, and geography has never dictated anatomy. Anatomy does not change with geography, okay? So I can't believe that a lot of people feel comfortable wearing something on the beach that you couldn't get them in, the, in this world to wear up here in Moulton, Alabama, Oh, but, but I'm on the beach. Well, that's another sermon. But we were down on the coast, and we had been out to the beach, and we had come back to the condo, and we'd gotten on the, uh, the elevator. And you know what happened. Another lady gets on the elevator with us, and she's in swim attire. Do not ask if it was two-piece or one-piece. Brethren, we have not done some teaching. Okay, modern swim attire is not modest. It matters not if it's two pieces or one. So don't even ask that. I don't remember. I was more like this probably anyway. But this woman gets on the elevator, and my least one, Lakeland, she was about that tall. Now, since then, we've given her the nickname, the Little Vial of Truth Serum. (laughs) That's Lakeland's nickname where it was for a while, the Little Vial of Truth Serum. Well, she stood there for a moment, and those elevators' door closed. And I heard her speak up. She said, Mama? best like, what, baby? Mama, why is that woman naked? (laughs) And the woman heard her. And the woman started to say, oh, baby, I'm not naked. You know, I got on a swimsuit. Lakeland wasn't having any of it now. I've messed up a lot, but one thing, thank God, we were able to teach our kids is that the biblical definition of nakedness is not the modern definition of nakedness. Lakeland knew she was naked. She was naked in God's eyes. And she wanted to ask her mama right there in front of all of us, how do you think that made us feel? Well, on one hand, our hearts were bursting. On, one hand. on the other hand, I couldn't crawl in the corner fast enough. It was embarrassing. But you know one thing I said I wasn't going to do? I'm not going to get onto my baby for saying something that's right God forbid I'd hate to stand before God with that I have a good friend we, we were with them in a Mexican restaurant and a similar though different scenario happened we were seated at a table and at the table or something right behind us somebody ordered a beer and, and my friend's son he, he was a little bit older and he looked at him and he says you don't need to be drinking that you know, that guy's kind of turned around like, well, who are you, you know? And my friend Dave was the same way. He says, yeah, that was embarrassing to me. He says, but my son was right. He says, I'm not going to stand before God and before everybody else and get on to my son when my son's got more courage to do something than I've got to do. You don't have to be grown, married with your own home to be about the father's business. Thank God for children who help us sometimes as parents. Our Lord's priorities were always in order. Go with me now. Stay in Luke. Turn over two chapters to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And he came to Nazareth. That is Jesus came to Nazareth, his hometown. Always remember he was born In uh, Bethlehem reared in Nazareth but he made Capernaum his home brother Richard Curry if he said that once I don't know how many times David he said that in school born in Bethlehem reared in Nazareth but he made Capernaum his home here Jesus comes back to the hometown where he was reared where he had been brought up and as his custom was now you need to underline that that tells us that this was not an outlier this was not an aberration This was not some oddity that just never happened in the life of Jesus. What this tells us was, this was his habit. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know what Jesus' custom was? The way he was brought up, the way Jesus was raised? Is when the day of worship comes, you go to worship. That was his custom. And now he's a grown man. He's entered into his own earthly public ministry. And you know what he still does? He still goes to worship on worship day. Boy, that's what we need in our families. God give us mamas and daddies that instill in their children so that there's not a question. There should never be a question Sunday morning, the family wakes up. There should never be a question. Mom and Daddy, are we going to Bible study today? Mom and Daddy, are we going to worship? There should never be a question unless somebody's sick or dying. Well, yes, we're going. That's the Lord's will. In fact, we made that decision, each one of us did, the day that we were baptized. I've I've got weekly plans the rest of my life. I made that decision the day I was baptized to worship my Lord. So what has Jesus done for us? Number one, his priorities were always in order. He set that example. Number two, turn over with me to Philippians chapter 2. I mentioned tonight that if we wanted to speak in the most fundamental, concise terms, our problems in families is sin, right? And And I believe that's true. But now, what if I were to ask you tonight, what is the essential principle behind sin? What is the essential principle behind sin? I'd never thought about that for years and years and years. One day my my friend asked me, Dave, the same friend whose son got him in a corner in a Mexican restaurant that day, He said, Cliff, it's selfishness. That's the essential principle behind all sin. Selfishness. Because sin is basically self-will. God has said, do this or don't do this. And sin is when I say, I don't want to do it or I'm going to do it. Self-will. You can do studies, and there have been countless studies done on divorce, fractured homes, hurting families, you know, dysfunctional families, family dynamics and all this that are awry. You can do all the studies you want to do, but I can tell you that selfishness is what ruins a home every time. Now, selfishness might manifest itself in a variety of ways, but what it is, it is selfish behavior that ruins a family every time. Jesus is the antidote to that look at Philippians chapter 2 a great wonderful passage one of the highlights when it comes to the study of the Christ in verse 5 it says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus the word mind means mindset mentality or perhaps even attitude so let this mindset, this mentality, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, if you read verse 5 thinking that Paul is now about to give you that attitude and what follows, you've missed it. <coughs> you've missed it. He's already given it to you before he got to verse 5. He's not giving it to you after verse 5. So you've got to back up to Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I'd love to stand up here and tell you tonight that that were easy. But I won't because that would be a lie. Folks, that's hard. What if in the home, what if the, the wife looked at her husband and truly from the heart... She esteemed him better than herself. What if the husband in the home, he looked at the wife and truly from his heart, he put her first. He esteemed her better than himself. Now, it may not come naturally, I almost think for some kids it does, but for most kids It may not come naturally, but what if the siblings in a home, if little Johnny and little Susie, brother and sister, or brother and brother, or sister and sister, what if the siblings looked at each other and they learned to regard each other as being better than themselves? I'll tell you this. You find a home where that is instilled. You find a home where that's the grand goal after which they strive. And I'll show you a home that the devil has to work overtime to try to get his foot in the door. You know why? Because there's no selfishness. And when there's no selfishness, the devil falls on hard times. Because that's where he operates. He operates in the realm of selfishness. God help us. Now again, I'm not standing up here tonight preaching saying that's easy. Hey, this is easy. Everybody ought to do it. No. I'm saying, hey, everybody ought to do it even though it's not easy. Next verse, verse 4. Look not every man on his own things. Most of your modern versions will read, look not every man on his own interests, but every man also on the interests of others. So it's when you've read verse 3 about selflessness, verse 4 about selfless consideration of others, then you come to verse 5 and now you know what the mentality is, you know what the mindset is, you know what the attitude is when Paul says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. It's the mindset that blows selfishness out of the water. And man, again, I'll say it the rest of the night if I have to. If you can get selfishness out of the heart, if you can get selfishness out of the home, then you have just fortified your family. Jesus is the answer. Follow his example. He's the one with the attitude. And then number three about Jesus, the example that he has provided for us. Number one is priorities were always in proper order. Number two, he was selfless and a servant. And number three, Jesus knew how to face temptations. He knew how to face temptations. You can go to Matthew chapter 4 or Luke chapter 4 and you can find the accounts wherein our lord was specifically personally tempted by the devil himself and i want you to realize that jesus knew that the strength or the answer to the devil's temptations it lay in the word of god three times the devil would come with his temptations three times jesus would retort it is written it is written it is written, it is written. Mamas and daddies, mamas and daddies. When temptation rears its ugly head in the workplace, such temptation that if it's brought to fruition, it will bring your home and family crumbling to the ground. You'd better retreat and you'd better retreat fast and you'd better retreat to the book. Flee fornication. For every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's book, chapter, and verse. That's that's quoting the Bible just like Jesus. What did he do? He quoted scripture. The temptation came. Jesus assessed it, said no. The word of God says this. Husbands and wives, don't play with fire. Mamas and daddies, don't play with fire. When that ugly temptation rears its head, you get out of there like Joseph did. Genesis chapter 39. You know, there are some sins I suppose. There are some sins that you stand and you meet toe to toe and you fight like a man. But the temptation to sexual sin is not one of those. You don't stand right there toe to toe and fight it. You get out. You call it for what it is, you get out and you call your spouse immediately on the phone and say, look, this just happened. I want you to know it happened. I want you to know I got out of there as quick as I could and I want you and me to pray together right now on the phone. Now, someone who's intent on following Jesus, they'll do something along those lines perhaps. But someone who's giving way to selfishness, they'll likely follow a different course and it won't be a good one. Jesus teaches us to overcome temptation with the word of God, with the wisdom that it affords, with the instruction that it yields, follow the word of God. No wonder then that the psalmist said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119 and verse 11 the Word of God educates us. It forewarns us. And to be forewarned is to be forearmed against sin. Now I tell you what, if even Jesus, the Son of God himself, if even the Son of God employed the Word of God in overcoming temptation, then you and I had better believe that we have to do the same. What can Jesus do for my family He can show us proper priorities. He can show us selflessness and service one to another. And he can show us how to resist temptation. Keep first things first. You know, I go about once a month. That's the plan. Okay, Let me give that in full disclosure. The plan is I'm supposed to go roughly once a month to GBN in Olive Branch, Mississippi. And I record the episodes for preaching the gospel. Well, recently I was up there and I had stepped into the men's room and they had a plaque. I say a little plaque. It was some kind of decor, a box. But it had a great statement on it. And I thought, man, that, that, that needs to be in every restroom in, throughout the business world. statement read this. Never give up what you want most for what you want in the moment. Think about that. Never give up what you want most. You know what I want most? I want a Christian home. I want a wife who loves me and whom I love a wife who trusts me and knows that she can trust me and a wife whom I can trust. I want children who respect me because of the man I am and because of the life I live and because there's no hypocrisy, because there's no put on, because there's no daddy says this but daddy does that. I want a home where we can focus on going to heaven together. Listen, listen, if that's what you want most, dear brother or dear sister, don't ever give up what you want most for what you just want in the moment. Well, that was good. That was good. And we need that in our homes. We need that in our hearts. All right, let's close our Bibles and let's take our songbooks books out if you're going to be using a songbook book. Tonight, we've been talking about how Jesus Christ is the hope of the family. Now friends, there's no doubt about it. The devil is represented as the thief who came to steal and to kill and to destroy. John ten and verse ten. He's the adversary and there is nothing I suppose that the devil would would relish any more than to see you, your soul, your spouse's soul, your children and their souls and the happiness and the well-being of your family just to see it go down in flames. Man, that must be the glee of the adversary. But in that same context, John 10 and verse 10, Jesus says... I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The good news is, is that through Jesus Christ, through his gospel will, our families can flourish. Our families can be happy havens of safety and trust and joy. Our families can be characterized by those words Jesus said, life more abundantly. Oh, you don't know the abundant life until you've lived the Christian life. And you don't know the abundant life in a special sense until you've lived in a Christian home. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life more abundantly. That can be yours tonight. Now, it won't be easy And I don't know how far behind you might be. I don't know how much ground you need to make up. I don't know. But I can tell you this. You can start on that pathway tonight. And it may involve, if you're not a Christian, it does involve you're obeying the gospel. Believing in Jesus Christ, Mark 16, 16. Repenting and choosing, making the conscious decision of will, that's what repentance is. I'm choosing to turn away from the practice of sin, Luke 13, 3. Then confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus is the Son of God, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. And put Jesus on in baptism. Why? Because he said to be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38 baptized into his death, his burial, and his resurrection, whereby then you rise up out of that watery grave. And what do you begin tonight? You begin a new life. Newness of life. Newness of your life is going to introduce newness of life into your family. Friend, brother, or friend, male or female, if you need to obey the gospel, do that tonight. Brother or sister, if you've done those things, but... Sin is in your life. Sin is attacking your family. It's hurting your family either directly or indirectly. It's never positive. Repent of it. Get it out. If it's a private matter, you can take care of that right now between you and God. If it's public and more complicated, we can pray with you and for you. Help you in any way we can and God says he'll forgive you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus Christ is the solution to your family problems tonight. If you need his help, come please as we stand and as we sing.